Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Also Sport Podcast. We ask if Lewis Hamilton now has one hand on the title after winning in Singapore and explain what happened to Ferrari's pace. Everyone expected Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari to set the pace during the Singapore Grand Prix, but instead he came away with third place, while Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes took their seventh victory of the season. Lewis Hamilton's now 40 points clear in the World Championship with six races remaining. It's a pretty ominous form, I think, uh, with four wins in five races. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to attempt to untangle what happened in Singapore is Stuart Codling. Now, we've just wandered back to our hotel from the circuit, and it's, uh, what time is it, 10 to 4 in the morning? So perhaps you can paint a picture of, of the environs for our listeners, because obviously it's a glamorous race. The, you see the bright lights, the tall towers. So so what's the, the milieu in which we are performing this this audio feast? Yes, here we are in Singapore, the the Monaco of the Orient, isn't it? It's certainly, you know, people talk about this Grand Prix as, as being the new Monaco. Um, here we are. And I think in future years, I will remember this hotel as somewhere I've stayed. Um, you, you, Ed, seem to have some sort of structural member intruding onto your space. Um, it would be, it would be a big problem that in terms of blocking the window. 
but for, the fact, what window? But, but for the fact there is no window either though it's very foggy outside yeah ordinarily some people might say there's barely enough room to swing a cat as uh, staff for two cats i wouldn't say that there is however barely enough room to unfurl a yoga mat and if you were to do that you'd be midway through the cobra uh, or uh, the plank and realize the dirty and disgusting state of the floor yeah this i i, I think it's the worst hotel ever i know i know the we we said the Ant infested uh, Airbnb we had for France was pretty grotty, but this this is the ropiest <laughs> hotel yet, I think. And, and it's uh, it's just the, the height of, of professionalism that we're both current we're both uh, we're both currently sat on my bed, which is the only thing we can sit on. <laughs> and I'm sitting on your spare towel. The aforementioned floor, but it, it's it's a bit dangerous because we obviously came back and it being Singapore, it's good to have just a quick shower before before we report the podcast, and we sort of got this all in one bathroom with all the things you'd expect in a bathroom and you could rather generously describe it as a wet room but it caught me out earlier because it's I, a wet cubicle well I, well I got in and i as you do you go into your bathroom you put your phone down onto a shelf to attend to various uh various things and then came to the point i thought well i'll turn the shower on so i turned the shower on but of course the shelf <laughs> i placed my phone on was was in the shower so it got it got uh, a few liters of water fired it, over it. fortunately <laughs> fortunately the uh the, the leather cover did uh did protect it but it is such a comp it's such a uh, a compact and bijou shower cubicle that actually the toilet itself takes a shower as well doesn't it yes yeah well and well this this is a boutique hotel as it's called so it's uh, it, it, it's splendid and the best thing of course is that we have got rooms next to each other and the uh, yeah, if the, we wanted to go and speak to one another, there is a door. But actually, you know, the wall—we well, can, pa- we, we can speak through the paper-thin walls. Well, we have we? had conversations through the wall. Which uh, my biggest concern is—I must confess—I do have a tendency of snoring, so I'm, I'm always a bit fearful that that's going to make be make life difficult for you through the Wa- wall. Walking distance to the circuit, though. Yes, that's very true. And in all seriousness, it is—it's great to be in Singapore. Uh, this is what this ten years ago, the first race here in 2008. I was out here for that one, and it's—it's it's been a. It's not always the most spectacular on track, but it, I think everyone agrees it's it's a great event. It's a great track. It's a great place to watch racing cars. So uh, for all the uh, the gripes about the hotel, mainly we're sleeping in 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 this. Indeed, abode, not so. doing much of that. It has to be said, given well, exactly. the uh, the hours and the the weird sort of time spectrum you find yourself on, because the rest of Singapore carries on as normal, while Formula One desperately tries to stay on European time. So generally speaking, people stay up till four or five or even six in the morning and uh, don't get up until midday or, or even after that. And uh, well, it's one of those strange the, the cleaners ones where... come by at 10 and bang around. So Exactly. But it's one of those strange races where like yesterday on, well, on Saturday, not technically yesterday, technically yesterday was Sunday, um, I was having a chat with Paddy Lowe and we had a, a discussion of about 20 seconds about what time it actually was because you, you have the local time and then you have the adjusted time because we're sort of on European time but the one strange thing is we do seem to have more hours in the day here which is which is quite nice because you you kind of have this period where you feel like you're being really lazy in the morning and you think oh better hurry up and then you think well hang on a minute we've actually got to the track really early like the equivalent of 5am or something it's uh it's it's a strange strange world into which we uh she passed and of course you come out of the track in the evening particularly on friday and saturday night and you you kind of go into the revelry and the people who've imbibed a little bit too much and uh, it's it's just very strange that you've got to have a work environment in, into that <laughs> yeah i was I, I ran the track on thursday night and uh, as i got sort of down towards the fullerton end uh, i heard these sort of very very drunken australians go hey hey valerie valerie give us away valerie and i thought you, you seriously think i'm valerie bottas 
Presumably, or, or were they shouting Valerie, as Johnny Noble said? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, you've got the, the vaguest passing resemblance to Valtteri Bottas in that you're, <laughs> you're, you're a human being. You're, <laughs> We've got two legs. <laughs> similar shaped head, that kind of thing. You know, it's about, yeah. From a distance and with the beer goggles on, who knows? Exactly, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, easy to be falling for a case of mistaken identity in these parts. Well, we are actually going to talk about the race, interestingly enough. We thought we'd, uh, We'd stop our travel log to uh, to discuss what happened. Now, Lewis Hamilton won. Codders, this wasn't really what we expected coming in. Lewis himself said after the race, I didn't expect to go away from this race having gained 10 points on Sebastian Vettel. Vettel, a few minutes later in the same press conference, said, well, I certainly didn't expect to come here and lose 10 points. I mean, Hamilton's on great form. Mercedes are clearly getting more and more on top of the car. But this... This is a really significant win, and it's a bit of a, a reversal of the expected form, isn't it? Yeah, we might even look at it as a turning point because Singapore is a traditional bogey circuit for Mercedes, and they've obviously invested a, a lot of time and effort in finding out why that is. Well, even when winning it. earlier in the this V6 Turbo Hybrid era, they they were always weaker weekends even when they were at the front. Yeah, yeah, they they they, they have struggled, and, and they've been put under pressure even when they were dominant. So. And even throughout practice, it didn't really look as if this was going to be Lewis Hamilton's weekend. They they brought the wrong tyres as well, so they, they'd sort of misjudged the tyre allocation. Remember them in um, uh, trying to get through Q2, uh, if, if the top of my jet-lagged head can uh, remember it, uh, on ultra-soft tyres, which were unfavourable. And I think, oh, was it even Q1, I think? Yeah, um, well, uh, Lewis Hamilton... Did Q1 on the Ultrasofts. Yeah. They both yeah. basically needed to use a set of Ultrasofts, both Ferrari and Mercedes. Uh, but Hamilton used it in Q1 and they ran it on Vettel in, in, in Q2. Yeah. My my brain is now back into gear. Yeah, so Lewis only just missed being eliminated in Q1 by a couple of tenths of a second. He was 14th in the end, wasn't he? Yeah, so he, he nearly suffered the fate of Kevin Magnussen. So that was actually quite drastic. So to come back from that... They really did need to get rid of those tyres, and that was probably the best place to do it. And then you saw in in Q2, Ferrari trying to do that, possibly with a view to um, really inking in a a one-stop strategy, so they maybe didn't even have to bother uh, using the the Hypersoft tyres in the race. Uh, and, and they just sort of failed and had to had to bail, even though Vettel said that he could find another half second if he needed to. It was very interesting because I think what we saw during this weekend in in P three, which um, I watched, uh, I watched down at trackside. I was watching turn one, two, three, and then walked around to to five. It was uh, very interesting to watch. Ferrari looked really good. They had half second advantage. Vettel was fastest with Raikkonen second, and then Hamilton was about half a half a second back. Ferrari were very happy with with life there. Mercedes came out of FP three thinking, oh, okay, right, yeah, this is kind of what we what we were expecting to be facing. And then you went into qualifying, and 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 things changed. I mean, if if you look at the the step from uh, from Q from FP three through to Q three. This is when th- you're at your happiest exactly. day, when well, you're I'm... juggling several pages of data. If Ex- I could, exactly, if exactly. I could paint a picture to the listeners of your many bits of paper stuck around uh, in front of you in your computer and your pages and pages of notes. One of these days, someone's just going to enter my room in the morning after race, and I'll just be kind of under a heap of paper that just having just just studied one lap chart too many but but uh, yeah to get back to the point Vettel gained 
1.4 seconds from his FP3 time to Q3. Hamilton made a gain of 2.5 seconds in the right thing. And I think the really important thing there is FP3 is a is a day session. It's kind of as it's getting it starts sort of like the lights fading, but it, it never it's never really, really, really dark. No, um, no, it's it's almost a wasted session, isn't it? And a lot of people, the Red Bulls didn't come out really until about 25, 30 minutes into the session, if memory serves. They, they, they didn't do a whole lot of running. It was pretty quiet. You saw them briefly, but yeah, for, for doing for doing serious running. And that makes a difference. It makes a difference to the track temperature. It, it, this is a very unusual race in terms of conditions. And having these day practice and then night sessions is significant. And so the conditions did change significantly. Ferrari seemed to have a car that was really nailed for that those kind of conditions. I was, I was watching it and you could you could see, you know, Hamilton was driving really well, but the, the Ferrari, when it's good, the, the rear end's so stable and strong. And it looks like the rear suspension's sort of really stiff in that the loaded rear tyre is really strong and supportive and really, the car can really sort of sit on it and, and it's held in, in the right in the right place. And sometimes you'd expect to lose some traction on grip for that, but it works. It, it it seems to have no negatives and all positives. Whereas the the Mercedes looks good, but you can still see, you can see the the loaded rear limitation with Hamilton, who's driving beautifully, but just with the car didn't look so good. But then obviously later on it wasn't so wasn't so strong. And throughout qualifying, in fact, that Hamilton was was quicker than than Vettel. I suppose the key thing here is that the Ferrari looked so strong in conditions that were quite irrelevant to the, the conditions we would see in qualifying in the race and in the session that had a, a window, as it were, that roughly matched up to the conditions we'd expect uh, in qualifying the race in terms of basically time of night, um, Sebastian Vettel was nowhere to be seen because his well, car was in the garage. Well, this is the thing. The qualifying in the race both started at 9pm. Uh, FP2 on Friday started at uh, eight, 8 o'clock. And finished at 9.30. So, yeah, it's this period from 8.45 to 9.30 when Vettel wasn't on track. And why wasn't he on track? Because he'd stuffed his car into the wall. Exactly. And had a coolant leak, a little bit of rear suspension damage. It was out of turn 21. So you have the right, uh, the right left. And then you're onto that little chute that turns to the, uh, sends you to the, to the final corner. Uh, so. Vettel kept playing this down. He said, no, we know the car. We've been running it all season. We know the conditions. We know the track, et cetera, et cetera. But, to me, you look at where Ferrari was in qualifying, as Vettel himself said a few times, well, the preparation wasn't right. We weren't quite there. I don't think the tyres were quite where they should have been. I think probably the, the rears were a little bit hot at the start of the lap because they were struggling more as the, as the lap went on. And just, we never saw Ferrari in a serious session looking quick in qualifying or the race. That's the significant thing. And we did see it in P3, yeah. which is not, uh, not the time. Another thing that was interesting for me is that the Ferrari seemed to struggle to get a second quick lap out of the um, Hypersofts, whereas uh, Mercedes were able to do uh, a cool-down lap and then push again. Which again tells you more about what you're, what you're taking out of the tyres. And well, we should talk about Hamilton's lap. Hamilton was driving superbly. He was absolutely delighted with his qualifying lap. He called it a monumental moment uh, after the, after the race when he was reflecting on it. It was, I think, Mercedes reckons that you could maybe do a mid one minute thirty six. He did a one minute thirty six zero. Uh, epic lap. People, his race engineer said. Toto Wolff said it was stardust. What Hamilton had done. So it was a beautiful lap. And, and Hamilton said it basically said, well. I mean, he's not one to just sort of rank his qualifying laps because that's by his own admission. He doesn't normally remember, uh, remember everything. So he's so focused on the moment, but that's right up there with, with his, with his best qualifying laps by his reckoning. 
I would say it was on par with his Silverstone lap. And certainly in terms of his reaction afterwards, uh, when, when he brought the car to a stop, he, he was kind of shaking again. He, he really had been in the zone. Well, even in the press conference when he was asked about it, because you obviously they get out of the car, they're asked uh, when they get out of the cars a few questions for TV, and then they do the written press conference, which is 10 minutes after that, maybe, maybe even 15 minutes sometimes. And, and he, was, uh, he was asked the question and... His reaction was quite telling straight away because he had to take a few moments to sort of gather himself, didn't he? Yeah, Lewis, some, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Sometimes he can be kind of overly eloquent. Sometimes he gives wandering answers. Sometimes he sets off down a path and then he reverses back. Well, where else do you reverse but back? So, you know, <laughs> hush my mouth, tautology. This, 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 is, the, the, this is me the, doing a Lewis Hamilton. Exactly. The, Imagine editing this this ridiculous piece of the dialogue. The sub-editor in you is furious with yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah. Believe me, when I go next door, the next noise you'll hear is me hitting my head against the wall. Not it, this wall, because I'll put my head through it. <laughs> it's one of the laws of uh, of our profession that when a, sub-edit- when a sub-editor makes an error of that kind, we take extra great delight in it, even if you just say it. In, yeah. in everyday conversation. Yeah, exactly. Subbing editors sub one another all the time. But where was I? Yeah, so Lewis actually took his time to compose himself because he he actually had to almost rediscover the moment because he he takes so much out of himself in in those things. He must have this sort of total concentration. And Lewis Hamilton, when he's doing a lap like that. I mean, maybe it is theoretically possible for someone to go faster, but you know, good luck to them. Well, he, he made the made the hour out of turn seven on his second run. He was just trying to find time that was very very difficult to get. But the other thing you watch, if you watch the onboard, uh, which is quite easy to find, it, it, on a track like this, you want to have the the tyres up to temperature, you want the fronts up to temperature for the start of the lap, you want the rears in the window, but not too high because they'll gain temperatures as the lap goes on. So you want the rear end really planted. And if you watch the first two thirds of that lap, it's beautifully planted. You know, the rear is right there under him on turn and there's not too many, there's not many dabs of opposite lock or anything. That's Lewis, Lewis himself said, oh, there's no wheel spin. Last few corners, you start to see it just coming in a tiny bit, but Ferrari by comparison was in much worse shape. So this was man and machine in absolute harness. Yeah, you don't get many of them to the pound. That really was a fantastic lap. And, and the other thing as well, as we, we haven't mentioned Max Verstappen, of course, he finished second in, in the race. He did a, did a very good first lap. I think it was, he gave away about 0.45 to Hamilton on, on the straights. And of course, the, the gap was uh, 0.3 something, wasn't it? Um, I don't have that particular piece of paper in front of me. Uh, but actually. How can you not have that piece of paper in front <laughs> of you? Because I've got about 100 pieces of paper. Stop this recording now and file through all of them. I've, I've got a grid sheet, which I'd have to do some maths to uh, in my head, which is, uh, which I like doing, but not when I'm, uh, when I'm trying to talk. Um, but Max Verstappen then, then did a second lap and. After the first two sectors, he was only a few hundredths down on Hamilton's pole lap. So this was a really mega, mega lap that Verstappen was on. But then he had a, a bit of an engine cut in uh, the turn 16, 17 section, had to basically abandon the lap, didn't, didn't improve. So Verstappen was another guy who was really nailing it. He was pretty stunned as well. He, he, he was also epic. And it's all, it's, it's a little bit of a pity that his achievement was kind of overshadowed by Hamilton's because he'd been, complaining about the car all through the session he'd had that problem with the engine mapping where it'd been hiccuping it didn't seem to like 
the humidity, the, the spec C engine, and they had to turn down the settings a little bit and detune it, change, change the mapping down to make it a little bit less peaky in an effort to get more drivability. And he was also having a problem where that had a knock-on effect that it was causing the car to go into false neutrals between gears to protect the engine, uh, which it does automatically. So the, the fact that he was you know, managing all those issues, which could, must have been a bit of a distraction to him, and to bring out such a fantastic lap really was a fantastic achievement. And he was pleased with himself afterwards. I think he described it as his best qualifying lap ever, but it just got lost in the background noise of the the hugeness of Lewis's achievement of basically consigning uh, Sebastian Vettel to a, a second row start. Yeah, which, which was a shame, because I think both the front row qualifiers did superbly. I mean, I don't think Vettel drove badly and you know the, the fp2 clash with the wall i think that did have a bit of an impact i don't think that was the sole reason um why the the weekend unraveled i think ultimately probably the team has to take a, a bigger chunk of the, the blame than Vettel. that was that was a factor I, I don't think Vettel was driving particularly badly i, th- I just think it was one of those things the, the car only needs to be a little bit off with so many corners on such a long lap for that to add up to a to a pretty big gap yeah, it's a lot of corners, which means a lot more opportunities to make a mistake. Exactly, and uh, and obviously, if you start, uh, you know, you're working the tires very, very hard. Lots of traction events out of corners and everything, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just one of those uh, six. But it was interesting because we kind of had the 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 big three teams. There were Hamilton, Verstappen, and Vettel in one group, and then you had Bottas, Ricardo, and Raikkonen in, in the sort of second group, the sort of the battle of the de facto number twos, as it were. Yes, I mean, we barely noticed them, and who would have thought that. Um, Daniel Ricciardo would be a, a de facto number two and he has a he's had a run of some fairly sort of I won't say unimpressive but he's had a run of performances where Max Verstappen has caught the eye rather more shall we say yeah it's, it's rather rather mundane but if you if you look at the qualifying gaps Verstappen was 0.662 quicker than Ricciardo Hamilton was 0.687 faster than Bottas which is to within about three thousandths the gap in qualifying in Singapore last year between the two uh actually Raikkonen of those sort of the number twos if you want to call him that he was he was the closest to them he was 0.166 off Vettel so he's actually much closer you can argue he was the strongest performing of, of those, those three so yeah yeah so, so this kind of sets up a situation with with those three drivers starting at the front they were clearly the three who were going to be in contention which we'd seen on on friday the long run suggested that all three of those cars had pretty handy race pace um and then of course vettel will have gone into the race desperate to get ahead of verstappen so things started actually pretty well for vettel didn't they and he nearly did i mean certainly at turn one uh, the one, two, three thing. He ne- very nearly did. He got a great start, a better start than uh, Verstappen, that's for sure. And and Max had to race very cleanly, which is very good for Max. You know, he didn't do any of his usual weaving around in the braking zone. He just dealt it dealt a- with it very absolutely unimpeachable in this race. Yeah, cleanly and professionally. And then Vettel got a better run on him out of five. Um, the power advantage and drivability advantage of, of the Ferrari in that trim really told and and we had a great little sort of frame by frame look at the final moments of that pass didn't we Ed earlier on and we could just see what might be a little puff of smoke from Vettel's front left as he stuck it up the outside into turn seven and really made that stick and you know Max Verstappen on on one of his bad days where he, he's going to give up position, he's going to defend his position no matter what, might have caused a shunt there. But he was fantastically mature. He 
didn't create an act. He didn't cause an accident and and went on his merry way. And, and he, he must have fulminated down the radio afterwards. But he did accept that he'd been done and he didn't do any vandalism while it was being done to him. I thought that was an outstanding bit of racing on, on the part of both of them, actually. For me, that's one of the parts of the season from uh, from Vettel. What I liked about it is obviously he was side by side through the right-hand king, turn six, which is flat out. But and he, did, he was just drawing ahead coming into the corner, but he still had a lot to do under braking. Verstappen was still contending it. And and Verstappen, I think, did uh, Vettel rather, did the thing of, of getting on the brakes. And I think he just came off a little bit just to give himself that little shelf forward and came around the outside. Uh, I'm off the top of my head at four, four in the morning, struggling to think actually of a better overtake this year because it was same tyres and it was such high stakes. So actually Vettel, who we've criticised at times for not making great decisions and executing stuff well, absolutely perfect. You think, great. So he'll be thinking, brilliant, I've got rid of Verstappen. That's Hamilton just up ahead, and of course there was a bit of a hiatus for the uh, for the safety car. We will come back to the cause of that probably later. Um, and then this <laughs> we had this weird phase of the race. We had the the restarts. Was that at the end of lap four? Let's check yeah, yes, yeah, end of lap, lap four. four. We had the uh, the restart. Then this slightly curious phase of the race. It was bizarre, and you know if you look back to the beginning of the year and the drivers were screaming for that hypersoft tire to be used every race they were saying just let us have that tire and let us sort it out let us have divergent strategies and and what do we have at a circuit where track position is king you have the entire front running group lapping at 11 seconds slower than the qualifying pace well to put the numbers on that hamilton's pole a woman at 36015 and then laps 5 to 11 he was doing between 1 minute 48 and 1 minute 46 it's just ridiculous that must have looked so slow and and it was for good reason they were, they were all doing it, it there, there was a reason for it they were indeed and what the, as as a knock on effect of that after Esteban Ocon had been knocked on, was that uh, two of the drivers who'd had started outside the top 10 and had a free choice of tyres, um, uh, Alonso and Sainz, managed to leap ahead of uh, Nico Hulkenberg, who started in the top 10 on the Hypersoft. Slightly, uh, slightly, I mean, only by a fraction, but slightly dozy start by Hulkenberg. Yeah. reaction time, so I... I uh... <laughs> You, you did you did a lot of freeze framing on that as well. well no, but you, also I was I was because I can go and look out the window for the start, and sometimes you see things from the start, and it's just, it's a clear advantage. So science was just about past him. I mean, Hockenberg's drive was very good, other than that, but yeah, that's what allowed those two to get past him. Yeah, and then because they were, you know, the, that that was quite a little coup for them, uh, but then they were able to stay close enough to the guys stopping in front that they maintained their track position. And, well, and of course, then, you had Perez as well. Yeah, a, a lot of those drivers, um, you, you had Perez, Grosjean, uh, when they made their stops, they ended up behind the, the, the very, very long first stinting Williams, and that was their race over. So the a, a lot of those people in the back end of, of the top 10, as they did in Monaco, lost track position to people who started behind them on ultras. Well, if you want to have a look at it, you had the top six all started on Hypersofts. The other Hypersoft starters were Hulkenberg, who finished 10th, Gasly, who finished 13th, and then Grosjean Perez, Hartley, who finished 15th through 17th. You'll see I've come up with a nice little noughts and crosses you uh, have done. notation on the results there, just to make sure I know that. So yeah, that, that was, uh, was difficult. But of course, this created the situation where the top six weren't, for the same reason, weren't pulling away and opening a big enough window to, to pit into. And this was complicated by the fact that you kind of had the Class B battle that Alonso was leading from science. And then Perez, the Racing Point Force India, with a big upgrade that was 
kind of several iterations of of the Force India R and D because obviously they'd not made the parts, but they'd been going through their R and D cycles, and there were sort of two or three cycles worth of of upgrades there that they bolted on. And Perez was basically, I mean, he's about four tenths faster than Grosjean in on, on Class B pole in on on Saturday. So the Force India was really quick, and it was kind of in no man's land, creating even more of a problem. There's going to be ructions, uh, of course, there when we look back to the first lap incident and then what else Sergio Perez did uh, in, in what is now yesterday's race, because, um, but, you know, they, they threw away the, the uh, probably a, a one, two in class, didn't they? Uh, all, all told, yes, they, they, they would have been. And that's not a, that's not a great situation to be in. We'll, we'll get back to that specific incident shortly, but of course it was always a question of you had the, the drivers crawling and then Hamilton did, did pick up the pace and then it was always going to be a question of, right, who is going to stop first? Mm. In the end, it was Ferrari and Vettel from second place. Now, the problem they had there was they were always going to drop into a gap behind Perez. And I think he came out about seven seconds, actually, behind Perez when he, uh, when he first came out of the pits. But that quickly quickly disappeared. And that, that created a problem for Vettel's attempted undercut. Yeah, I, I found that inexplicable. They seem to be, their thinking seemed to centre on Perez not being there by the time they got to him they thought he would no longer be a factor so his pace had just dropped off yeah he had he'd gone down to 149s hadn't he so either they thought that they probably thought Perez would panic and um and stop uh, straight away or that he would carry on shipping time and that he wouldn't be a problem that they'd be able to stop Vettel and bring him out ahead of him but either way that didn't happen and he had to clear Perez he had to run in Perez's dirty air for a bit and and that kind of shipwrecked his race well if you look at it laps uh, I mean lap 15 was his out lap then lap 16 he did a 149.336 and then 17 was the lap he passed Perez on and he suddenly 3.2 seconds yeah. faster so, his, so that his was pit costly stop, his, his pit stop time as in total um, entry to exit, was a second faster than Verstappen's, wasn't it? So he, he made up a second on Verstappen and then still lost out to him. Well, this is where the, the problem came in, because this was an attacking move. Vettel said after the race, I'm not going to criticise the team. We had to go aggressive. That's the only way we were going to win this race. Uh, as it happened, going aggressive merely opened the door to, to Red Bull. And actually, Vettel did say, oh, it was really marginal. But for reasons, uh, th- there was a reason for... Verstappen losing that that extra second in the, in the pits and that made it contested and close. But when Verstappen pitted, when did he stop? He stopped on lap, ooh, lap seventeen. So that was yeah, three laps after Vettel. So when he stopped, he came out sort of side by side and, and made the move stick into into three. Yeah, the Verstappen stop was interesting in that he had a little problem uh, pulling away that was partly, according to the team, you could hear it on. When you were watching the broadcast, you could, you could hear very plainly the car struggle and bog down as it left the concrete part of the apron and transitioned onto the asphalt. Uh, and Christian Horner said later that uh, that was exacerbated by him uh, sticking it into second gear as the car dropped off the jacks. So it, it stuttered a little bit. So he, he very nearly lost that. But then once again, very professionally and cleanly, just hung on to that and um, pretty much hung Vettel out to dry at the exit of turn three, and, and that was it. Vettel definitely wasn't going to risk going around the outside in that, in that scenario. He was right to. Verstappen, again, unimpeachable, did what he needed to do. Vettel saw the situation, didn't didn't overdo it. And, and again, because, you know, justifiably been critical of him in recent times for sometimes when something's not gone quite right, and Verstappen coming out of the pits and being 
in that position to be ahead will will count as that. He didn't do anything stupid. He just he just played the race that was in front of him, which is which is good, even if it didn't mean he was yeah. third. And then it was time management all the way to the flag, apart from later in the race when they came ac- across a slightly uncooperative Roman Grosjean, whose uh, dander was up in the words of uh, Murray Walker because he was trying to pass a equally uncooperative Sergei Sorokin. Well, it, this was actually quite a a critical period of the race for Hamilton because there was a bit of a perfect storm brewing there that could have that could have cost him the win because the tyre temperature had dropped a little bit. He was trying to manage the tyres and look after them. Uh, of course, by this time, Vettel had already who'd gone on to ultra softs, we should add, whereas Hamilton had gone on to softs and so had Verstappen. Uh, Vettel had already complained over the radio that you know, these tyres aren't going to last, so he was sort of out of the picture tyre managing. But Hamilton had lost a bit of front tyre temperature and so he lost a chunk of time. So if you look at it, um, just check him on. For the the benefit of the listeners, Ed is turning to another, uh, his leather-bound Bible in which he's (laughs) lap-charted the entire race. With with gaps, with gaps. With gaps. gaps gaps. But it does mean there's a a high density of information. But yeah, so Hamilton had a five-second lead, which then by uh, by the end of 36 came down to... 3.3 3.3 and then then it's suddenly 1.9 seconds so he, he's losing this time with the front tires losing a bit of temperature so he had to sort of push on a bit but then he happened upon as you said this this Grosjean uh, Sirotkin moment uh, and that had already been a soap opera because Sirotkin had already been hit by Perez but I suppose we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves I think this here. was that was later wasn't it that he was hit by Perez yeah. was it later no no it, it, it was or? it was before that so Perez had already done the damage and gone and Hulkenberg had followed um, had followed through and actually gone by uh, both those cars as they had their little snafu and that had opened the door to Grosjean to latch onto yes. Sorokin's tail but he then had the problem that the other guys had had which was that the Williams was just kind of wide enough Sorokin had to keep that car on the road um, to um, basically just he had to just eke out that first set of tyres for so long it was it was ridiculous. But then again, the Williams were so slow that they were in effect locked into that strategy of having to go really deep into the race. Yes, yeah, the Williams was terrible. This was their least competitive nineteenth and twentieth in qualifying. They were further off the pace in in relative terms than they were anywhere else. Spain was their previous worst, but this was this was terrible survival. I think uh, Sergei Sorokin uh, just described it as. But yeah, so coming on to turn five, Hamilton had just uh, had just cleared Gasly, so he had Grosjean behind Sorokin, and then on the run down to seven, Grosjean pulled to sort of was attacking Sorokin, defended. So Grosjean was trying to go around the outside and seven and. Vettel just, uh, Hamilton just had a face full of cars on his way, so I had to back off. And then there's a right-hander straight after. Hamilton was over sort of on the left, and he just had two cars on the inside. All the time, Verstappen was just barreling down, thinking, oh, come on, I can, get, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, Verstappen got past the Toro Rosso um, with, with lightning rapidity. We, when, when we looked back, uh, uh, we watched it frame by frame, and uh, as, as they came into turn seven, as, as, as Grosjean... Uh, Sorokin and, and Hamilton were sort of having their little after you, Claude, into uh, turn seven. Some way behind that was the Toro Rosso, and behind that was was the Red Bull. And yet, as they as they filtered round to the next corner, you just saw that um, Verstappen was ahead of the Red Bull. And, and all, sorry, I, I think we can. Toro Rosso I, I think we can safely say that uh, 
Verstappen's Red Bull stable mate was was respecting the effect <laughs> in a way that <laughs> yeah. others were. The the door was left we very open. Uh, I'd I'd love to actually have a look, and I'm sure you will look at how much time he lost on that lap later. But yeah, there was no problem getting through there. And all of a sudden, Verstappen was right on Hamilton's tail, and and Lewis did manage the race very well there. He he was perhaps fortunate uh, in, in a small measure in the the the. the the road parted ahead of him and, and Grosjean got out of the way. But, but I think there was a point where Hamilton could have sort of inserted himself into that Sorokin Haas duel. And I think he just thought, hang on a minute, Verstappen's, let's just make sure I've got Verstappen covered and not sort of find myself squeezed to an outside wall or sat tight on an apex. You know, I think he was, I think he just thought, oh, hang on a minute, let's just get us down. There's that little twisty section down at the far side of the track that you just calm everything down. I think that was, that was just good. Yeah. Right, good race craft, really. Uh, racing schools should show that section of of the Grand Prix uh, as an example of a great racing brain at work because he, exactly, he could have yeah. made a massive mess of that, but he didn't. Well, ultimately, that I mean, that, and that that was really in real terms the the end of the race. I mean, the gap hovered. I mean, it, the gap went back up, and it was it's sort of a bit fluctuated, but there was never a realistic chance of, of a staff getting anywhere. And then in the last half dozen or so laps, it went up to 8.9 seconds. Yeah. So Hamilton, Hamilton won from Verstappen with Vettel. By the end of the race, Vettel was 39 seconds, uh, well, 40 seconds rounding up uh, behind, behind Hamilton. Yeah. Shall we cease what no doubt are many critics on social media would de- would deride as Hamilton fanboying and return to other matters of moment from this race. Well, yes, uh, there's not a great deal to say about the fourth, fifth, sixth place battle. We saw, I mean, Valtteri Bottas was fourth, Kimi Räikkönen fifth, Daniel Ricciardo sixth. Bottas basically matched Hamilton's strategy. Went to, came in a lap after Räikkönen led for a bit, went a bit longer. Ricciardo they just left slung out. Yeah. So that he could on, go on. on the off chance that there might be a safety yeah, car. Yeah, I mean, there was a period where a virtual safety car would have benefited him significantly, virtual safety car in particular. Um, but uh, that, and that also allowed him to go onto the ultra softs. He was the only other one of the top six to go hypersoft, ultra soft, but he'd extended his stint. Yeah. So uh, there, there was no real downside to, to that. And Ricardo, we should say, was. Uh, was was having a few problems with his engine as well, uh, mm. similar to Verstappen. He just wasn't being so vocal about it. I'm not quite sure why the yeah. Uh, why would he what, be doing that? Uh, the Renault band Ricardo might why. be might be a bit quieter. I I can't possibly imagine. So that was yeah fine. There was a little bit of griping about about blue flags. Bottas was uh, was complaining about Hockenberg not respecting blue flags when Hockenberg was about four seconds on the road. Yeah, stage. exactly. I've I've got I, I can't. I, I can't explicate that. Um, I'm actually disappointed by that battle battle because I I thought it would be a lot more interesting than it turned out to be. It's like the the gas got turned up for a bit and then they got to within a second or so of one another and then they just formed this sort of DRS chain and no one could actually attack the other or because you know Raikkonen had the DRS because he was behind Bottas so Ricardo couldn't then challenge. Um, Raikkonen and they basically just it just neutralised one another. Yeah, they cancelled uh, they cancelled each other out. And we should just say on the on the blue flags thing. I think Whiting, uh, Charlie Whiting, the, the FI race director, said it. I think it's one point two seconds is the gap when the blue flag was it. Was yeah, yeah, one point two is that, the that's thing. where the blue flags get get applied. And of course, the blue flag penalty was what Grosjean was given for what Whiting called one of the one of the worst blue flag offences. He he made it very very clear that what he drums into the drivers is that if you've got a battle. And you get blue flags. Your battle is paused. You respect the leaders coming through. Somebody's a little bit of a shame because uh, that was probably the most one of the most exciting bits of the race in terms of the, the battle for the lead. But anyway, yeah. So that that was the, the top six. Obviously, the the, the top class was uh, was very far away. 
clearly this would have been i mean you could almost say there's a, there's a class a a class b and class c in this race because force india like they were last year or racing point force india we should call them uh they were kind of in in a bit of a battle of their own and it was all looking very nice because perez had sort of seen off was, was just in the process of seeing off grosjean to settle into what should have been seventh place and ocon had just sort of gone round grosjean and was just sort of on the outside of perez thinking about going around him at turn three they would have been one two in class and then uh yeah, things got a little bit uh, things got a little bit bad. Things got very bad, and where, when you think that just a few weeks ago at Spa they played so nicely on the opening lap, and Ocon backed out of a move that could have taken out the entire group, uh, and he, he must have been very tempted to try and lunge for the lead. Here, you know, he made what looked like a legitimate move round the outside. Um, he seemed to let off the brake a little bit into turn three he, he sort of leapt forward almost in comparison with uh, the cars around him well and i think I, I think primarily he was looking at getting past grosjean yeah in doing, in doing that i think and and maybe if we're going to be charitable to sergio perez perhaps he was um you know he'll, he'll have had lots of lots of other things to think about he'll have been thinking about grosjean planning his trajectory out of that corner so maybe that little spurt forward caused by ocon maybe letting off the brakes or whatever um may just blindsided him he says he didn't see ocon coming and very very difficult to um work out whether that's the truth or whether he's it, being economical with the actuality i think it's difficult because probably grosjean was his main focus but Ocon was a long way alongside him, and I think you'd be aware of something there. And he did sort of move to the right. He didn't need to do that. They were like Grosjean was basically cleared by him. And I think, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a great move from Perez. The thing is, with Perez in that situation, who's a driver I have a lot of respect for, he's a he's a fine performer for for that team. <laughs> Even if you give him the benefit of the doubt for that, what happened later in the race? Yeah. There is no doubt to benefit from. Yeah, lap lap one was clumsy. If we're going to be let, let's be generous and call it clumsy. Um, the the thing later in the race with Sorokin was just stupid. He was using his car as a weapon. He, well, I, there's, there's there's no exaggeration of the, in that. That he was he, he was moaning over the radio about Sorokin's defence. I don't think we saw on the on the feed anything particularly problematic from what Sorokin did against him. I don't. Recall. No, I think he was just very. He, he had been behind him for a long time. Frustrated, all. I'm sure. It, it yeah. was it was you know in the words of Jonathan Ledyard, frustration. <laughs> but it was just this point when. He was he was on the outside with Srock and sort of defending it on the inside, and he just just moved across on him. That it was a, a it was a side swipe. Yeah, it was it was the sort of thing that Ayrton Senna used to do to uncooperative backmarkers. Once he'd passed them, and with millimetre precision, he would chop in in front of them. Have that Olivier Gruyard? Exactly, it would be Olivier Gruyard, wouldn't it? This, you know, he didn't even do the passing bit. You know, he he was. He had his nose ahead for sure, but yeah, there, he wasn't a full car length ahead. There was no excuse for that. He got a drive-through penalty. A drive-through penalty is uh, people's drive-through penalty. Yeah, not stop and go. Drive-through penalty. You know that's a reasonably severe offence uh, punishment to be given because you can have a five or a ten-second time penalty. So the stewards looked dimly on it. The only thing was by that time, of course, Perez had already been into the pits. His race was already over. He was, I mean, even behind Sorokin, he was struggling. So he got given another penalty. And I, I do wonder in situations like that, there's not much penalty. It's like, well, your race has been ruined anyway, but here, have another one. I know penalty shouldn't really be applied based on your race situation, but uh, I, I was not impressed with, with that piece of driving. I don't think there's, no. any, I don't think there's any excuse no, for it. No, he doesn't emerge from that with any great credit, and you'd have to be 
deep in the grasp of cognitive dissonance to argue <laughs> otherwise, which, of course, some people will be. But. And, of course, uh, one person who was not very impressed with goings-on was Racing Point Force India... It's a recently appointed team principal at Marsafdow. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't have wanted to have been on the fly on the wall there. What does he say? He was he'll have been chewing a wasp. Oh, he he was absolutely furious. And uh, let's let's just check actually exactly what he uh, what he said. Yes, uh, story on Autosport. Handy, isn't it? Autosport.com. It's, it's very good. Yeah. So that I mean, Adam Cooper, our colleague, uh, spoke to Otmar Safnow, and basically he said, right, they're not going to race anymore if they can't do it. Um, he said there wasn't any room. Checo should have given him room, and Checo had plenty of room. I mean, he does go on to say that you know Esteban put himself in a position where if Checo moves over, he can do anything about it. So there's sort of there's a little bit of a well, you're on the outside. There's always a bit of a risk there, but I think it's I think that I read uh, Seth Now's comments as a kind of well, it's ninety percent Checo, ten percent Ocon. Well, maybe you could have played that better. But uh, for me, I think ultimately Grosjean was the main one he was challenging. I'm not sure if Grosjean wasn't a factor Ocon would have been quite so yeah. aggressive but of course Ocon is also racing for his future because of this this uh, situation where he, he's not uh, not able to drive for anyone but uh, we won't get into that because we've done lots of driver yeah. market stuff but the, the big the big problem for this is Force India would have been could have been 7th and 8th in that race potentially had things panned out better obviously Perez things went awry for but I would say before that race, with the quality of the upgrade, you know, Spa and Monza, them going, well, that was mega, big points all there, but you always thought, well, let's see, Singapore historically not quite such a good track for them. But I think with the double points finish here, or decent number of points, you'd still say, do you know what, getting up to fourth in the constructors is not completely impossible. I think, I think it's out the window now. I think that they needed, they needed a really favourable run at the end of the season to zoom up there. So, you know, you should never rely on that. It's costly. It is very costly. And, but it, it is, it is amazing to think that, that kind of result at the end of the champion, at the end of the world championship, would have been on for a team that was effectively starting from zero. Well, it, well which yeah. was starting from zero yeah, as of Belgium. So I'm hugely impressed with squandered. the uh, hugely impressed with the upgrade. But uh, yeah, the Force India drivers need to uh, need to not do that. We've seen a lot of clashes between them. We've had Baku. We've had problems in Canada last year. The the Spa thing last year. You know, multiple multiple incidents where it's just been unacceptable. So I don't blame them for being uh, for being furious uh, about that one. So of course that basically meant the way was clear for a rare class B victory for Fernando Alonso in the in the McLaren. Now, of course, that's the first time we've seen a McLaren sort of winning the class B race since the Australian Grand Prix, and yeah. I mean, they hope this track would go fairly well, but Alonso, a very, very fine performance. Yeah, those the the performance was built on the back of making a very good start. He and Sainz, you know, made, made the move, got into the top ten, even even before the race was, was one lap old, which was clever. Which Plus, was of useful. course, free tire choice pole position yeah. in eleventh was was nice well, for Alonso. Well, well, that that was the other thing, you know. But Alonso, Alonso had had that free choice pole position, so. That 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 gave him an advantage, but he made the most of that by moving forward at the start, and then with the, the cars ahead going into tire management mode so early, he was he then benefited more, I would say, um, because when they pitted and got out of his way, uh, and and the other drivers ahead just started put the hammer down, he was he was able to to get a shift on, and then at, at the end, I think if if memory serves, Science was actually um, running ahead of him. 
at the pit stops. Correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, then no, he, Alonso, Alonso was ahead. Ah. Uh, um, and brain out of gear. Yeah. It, so it was. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just double checking to make sure I'm not. Uh, I'm not making things up. But yeah, Alonso was was ahead, and Science attempted to uh, undercut him. And then, if you remember, Science ended up stuck behind Ericsson. Yeah. And that sort of gapped. Gap the pair and then uh, uh, like a spark of, plug <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah exactly. So, Ericsson, Ericsson yeah. did actually go quite a long way into the race before he pitted which yeah, as, was, as, uh, as is often the case yeah it's uh, it's a uh, uh, and you know that was a consummate drive from Alonso the thing that was really impressive was watching trackside you could see the uh, comparing Van Dorn and Alonso was watching sort of down on the inside of turn three and you could see kind of Van Dorn was in sort of this big understeer and it's like oh, just sort of just sort of waiting for it to go away whereas Alonso was just swear, squaring off the corner a little bit more provoking the car he's, he's really good in that situation Alonso in terms of trying to cover up work out little tricks and things to, to try and counteract the, the inherent weaknesses yeah. of the car it's, it's talent and experience isn't it plus imagination or well, that's probably not the way the equation works but it's a combination of those things you know he's a, he's a mega talent we know that he's very experienced and he's got the imagination to try stuff when things don't work rather than just trying to do the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Exactly, exactly. That's the uh, definition of madness. That's the, it's the definition mis- of stupidity, I think. I think the definition of madness is when you don't admit that you're sick, 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 <laughs> sick, sick. I don't think I'd like to speak on these podcasts anymore. Uh, cause I have to say. Um, so yeah, Fernando Alonso seventh, Carlos Sainz eighth, Charles Leclerc a good drive to ninth in the in the Sauber ahead of Nico Hulkenberg in tenth. That was the uh, the point scorers. Uh, footnotes to the race: Kevin Magnussen a first fastest lap, first fastest lap for Haas, first fastest lap for Dane Mark a Dane for a Dane for a Dane a Dane Edmondson. <laughs> uh, I, well. The uh, I'm not sure that's a massive feather in anyone's cap, is it? To come, or was it was he P16, P18? Uh, I mean, Magnussen struggled all weekend to get the tyres working. He had the same prep as Grosjean. I think this this was not a good good weekend for Magnussen. No, He's no. had a really good season. I've been really impressed with him this year. Ultimately, bolting on another set of hypersofts and getting a, a a lap record as well and, and fastest lap. You know, it's, it's not. Ultimately, do you want to finish? 18th with fastest lap or 16th without it. You might as well take fastest lap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I think that will have given him a little bit of a boost because he was abs- he's hated this weekend. He was so downbeat uh, when we spoke to him after qualifying. He said, you know, it makes me question everything. He said that his first lap in Q1 was the only good lap he'd had all weekend. And that was when he pretty much, I think he might even have been slightly quicker than Grosjean lap for lap in those first Q1 runs. And then Grosjean found 1.2 seconds and uh, came out, came around again, tried to push, and just the the car was nowhere. And, and he, he, he was just so flabbergasted. He said, I've never been a second slower than my teammate. I just don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, there's a clearly a reason for that. He's not, he's not an idiot. And of course, if you remember, Kevin Magnussen had a great drive in Singapore in 2016 in a the rather recalcitrant Renault. Yeah, the car he, that handled like it was towing a caravan. Exactly, which was an outstanding drive for Magnussen. That was a very high class performance to get points uh, in in that race. Um, other footnotes in the race, I guess, Sorokin eventually to get a penalty for sort of inviting Brendan Hartley towards the wall. I don't, I don't think that was a deliberate thing. I think that was just no. a no grip thing. He he did say afterwards when when quizzed. What is your name? No, when asked, 
when, when asked about that, he said, uh, "I you know, just very sorry. It, it was a complete accident. I wasn't trying to take him out. I wasn't trying to force him into the wall. I, I just had no grip. And, and actually, what I was really, what I was really focusing on was trying not to hit the wall. He really did think he, he was going to hit the wall." Uh, he said, if you looked at my tyres afterwards, they were just completely gone. And I really did think I was going to hit the wall. So uh, you you would probably argue that he'd stayed out one lap too long. Those He wasn't too downbeat, actually. It was quite interesting speaking to him. He said he hadn't physically found it that challenging. He said it was one of the first races he's actually had with uh, water, with a drinks bottle on board, because they've been running without a drinks bottle to save weight. Yeah, yes, he's uh, not one of the smaller drivers. Uh, so, you know, he he wound a few people up, but it was a it was a kind of doughty performance from uh, from him. He didn't he didn't yeah. give up. He, should, could, should... he could have given up, and he he didn't. So, actually, fair play to him. I, I think he deserves a fair bit of credit for just carrying on, plugging on, and doing the best he could in a car that was pretty hopeless. It reminded me a little bit of Jensen Button in two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight, where the the car was completely rotten and he just kind of gave his best every weekend yeah exactly and i should say lance stroll did a good job as well uh to finish 14th he held off roman grosjean by three thousandths of a second uh so uh which uh which wasn't i don't think uh caught by uh by the camera so uh yeah just just held on but yeah the williams was not a great car to drive during the weekend uh one off track thing this weekend 2021 concepts yeah, dope AF, according to uh, Lewis Hamilton. Although he, he you'll, you'll, subs- find, you'll find some pictures on autosport.com if you want to have a look at some of these uh, concepts. There's you a, will. a Ferrari and a, and a Mercedes produced I, by. I would suggest uh, looking at all angles because you don't want to be like Lewis and pronounce it dope AF on uh, first glance and then comment subsequently on an Instagram picture of uh, of a different angle saying actually the front end doesn't look so good because ladies and gentlemen when you've made a decision you cannot reverse it dope af means dope af it is undemocratic <laughs> to change your mind exactly changing your mind in the face of new information no who do no, that wrong exactly exactly uh the, the funny thing was that these these concepts were actually accidentally leaked by uh by, by ross Braun. yeah yeah so it, was, it was a blunder wasn't it, it they was, actually had the old f1 logos on yes well he, he was showing them he was giving a i can't remember exactly what the talk it was a to a to a, a young tech sort of audience wasn't it and uh they actually put that up on the up on the the old overhead projector and uh somebody snapped it and yeah. put so it out. and then and then of course that they kind of had to, to release them at that point. It shows how old those pictures are, so I don't think we should set too much store by them. And, and there's a- Actually, I am led to believe that, as you all know, working in publishing, there is a habit for old logos to re-emerge by accident. Yes. Wrong yes. folder, wrong email. I, I believe yeah. it was more that than, Delete, than, than the la- age. Lack, lack of attention to detail on the part of uh, certain functionaries in the graphic design department. <laughs> uh, exactly. The, 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 the much derided department for that'll do have struck again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But head to autosport.com and, and scroll down to the photo gallery section. You'll be able to have a good look at those car concepts. See if you agree with some of Ferrari's designers who said it looks like an old champ car. I thought that was particularly uncharitable. Yeah, Maurizio Rovabene getting a little bit a uh, little bit punchy. Didn't say that by accident. So uh, that's uh, yeah, an interesting one to follow. Uh, obviously, these are there's, there's new aero rules for 2021 and trying to make it easier to follow, etc., etc. Ross Braun said, currently you lose about half of your downforce behind another car trying to get it down to about 20 percent. so uh, yeah interesting interesting to see how that uh, goes and uh, in fact you'll be able to uh, 
Later in the week, read uh, Gary Anderson, our technical experts, uh, talking about that on autosport.com in the plus subscriber area. I look forward. If I didn't get it for free already, I would pay for that. Of course, of course. Pay for, why not pay for it twice? It's that good. I should do. Maybe I should take out a subscription for my wife and cats. Exactly. The cats, yeah, there's two of them. Now, let's just finish off. I mean, championship-wise, Hamilton is now 40 points ahead. There's six races to go. We're not quite at the point where Hamilton can finish second in every race behind Vettel, but we're pretty close to it. It's It, it feels kind of... I mean, looking at Vettel after the race, both immediately after on the podium and then later on, he's sort of thinking, uh, this isn't great. I don't, I don't, he doesn't look like someone who thinks that this is, I mean, he'll try, but he needs Hamilton to have a, a big mishap and, you know, a retirement and a 25 point swing. Maybe it's then back on, but, you know, conversely, Vettel has an engine failure the next race. That's completely game over, really. Yeah, we're getting to that point in the season where he really doesn't need to have any more problems. And what happened this time last year was that he had all those problems, didn't he? And uh, I've I've seldom seen him more consistently downbeat than he has been this weekend. After qualifying uh, on Saturday night, when uh, I think in the press conference I asked him uh, how how damaging he felt the uh, the impact of um, the uh, poor qualifying performance would be considering the the, the importance of track position uh, at Singapore. And he just sort of barely answered the question. He sort of answered in sort of looped speeches. He kept repeating himself as if he was barely... You know, he, he basically just seemed very disengaged and uh, not particularly interested in answering questions and didn't want to be in the room. I think he's not that keen on answering questions because if you ask him about the team performance I think he's got a few gripes that uh, I, I think he you know he talked about them not getting the best out of the car this weekend or he's part of that situation I mean you've got given a lot of credit over the season for the way they've worked through yeah so you know you have to take some of the negatives as well but yeah I, th- I think he's concerned about what's going on about you know even the strategic decision I don't think it was a mistake but you win championships by if you can be second you're second you don't drop to third shooting for the moon and trying to take a when you don't have the pace to get because he was nowhere near pulling off that undercut even probably even without Perez so you know it's it's uh, it would have made much difference only three points but it all adds up doesn't it and uh, you know I, I think he'll be thinking oh, we've just got to go to Russia we cannot afford not to uh, not to win so uh, yeah he, he I mean there comes a point where he'll you make all the noise about yeah mathematically possible but that that looks to me like a driver who thought yeah this this championship's really getting away from us now yeah as as uh, a season ticket holder for a rugby team that's been relegated from the premiership twice in the past few years and have spent many many seasons staring down the barrel of uh, relegation and it becomes more and more a mathematical certainty the closer you get to that point i think uh, sebastian vettel is kind of thinking in that way that that the opportunities to lift himself out of this cycle of failure are narrowing. Yeah, very much so. Well, there's only, there's only six races left, so by definition, there's not, not so many opportunities. But meanwhile, Lewis Hamilton is driving brilliantly. Mercedes have, I mean, they talked about what they learned from Spa, from the difficulties there, a bit of soul searching. And I think they've really worked out how to get the best out of their car. And I think you've kind of got Ferrari not quite getting the best out of their car. Mercedes getting the best out of it this weekend. And I think, I don't think Mercedes was brilliant in terms of its characteristics here. After all, they're only 
you know, Red Bull wasn't wasn't far off, so that that that, that gap's closed. So I, I don't think it's suddenly Mercedes is brilliant in Singapore, but I think what Mercedes did, and James Anderson's always just to interrupt myself, he's always very clear on this. You know, you design a car for the average of the circuits, not for outliers. Singapore's not the most extreme outlier, but it's it's edging sort of further out in the spectrum. So they're happy with that. It's not because it's a problem. It's just it doesn't make sense for this to be a be strong. So the car's still still decent but it's that the team has got the best out of him Hamilton's driving superbly you know he, he really is and um ultimately I just want, I want to see this championship go down to the wire so Vettel needs to get some wins to make sure that that happens otherwise what's been a, what's been a great championship battle is going to fizzle out a bit but yeah if that happens it, it happens and it would be all to the to the credit of uh, Mercedes and, to, and Hamilton if it does I think Mercedes and and this might be a slightly controversial viewpoint um to my mind, the, the the crucial difference between Mercedes and Ferrari is that Mercedes, when the, when they have some sort of blunder or failure or a, a team problem that sets them back or, or there's a, a shortcoming in the car, they're very, very good at um, uh, examining themselves critically without sort of doing a blame and shame thing. And they pull together and they find a way out of it. Whereas Ferrari tends to go into these self-destructive spasms when they have uh, a problem and then those problems then perpetuate and you see the cycle continue whereas the Mercedes when when that when they have a trough it's usually a blip a Ferrari trough usually is deeper and lasts longer because they 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 just don't have quite that same strength as a team to be able to lift themselves out of it and find a way forward Sochi's must win for Vettel it's not just quite need to win it's a must win for him and Ferrari well, I think we're uh, we're getting to the point now. It's coming out to 5 a.m. where we should probably uh, wrap this up. So please head to autosport.com to take a look at what we've been writing about the uh, Singapore Grand Prix weekend. Loads of post-race reaction and uh, the other the other news topics uh, will be uh, we hit on that over the over the coming days. So keep checking back. Check our plus subscriber area where you can read all sorts of in-depth features. You can look at our driver ratings and decide if you think I'm terrible for whatever rating I've given your your favourite driver. Worst. Worst driver rating writer ever. Yeah, one out of ten. One out of ten. I think that's that's very very fair. Uh, also check out uh, sister titles F1 Racing out monthly. What's on the cover of F1 Racing currently? Codders has Formula One failed Fernando Alonso. The new issue came out on the shelves last Thursday. Excellent. So head uh, head off and get that. Also check out motorsport.com. And if you uh, if you fancy a flutter pit stop betting, download the app and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a new venture. So we, uh, you'll be able to find all the uh, all the odds for the uh, for the Russian Grand Prix. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.